UFO round table. The UFO thinker and pursuit of the paranormal podcasts. Okay, so welcome back to another monthly roundtable with obviously myself, Frank, of the UFO Thinker podcast, in collaboration, as always, with Ash and Greg from the Pursuit of the Paranormal podcast. How are you doing, chaps? Evening. Evening. Hiya. And today, we have a bit of a packed lineup, including Dave Smethurst, who you may have heard being a regular contributor to my podcast. Hey up, Dave. How are you doing? Oh, doing great, Frank. Can't wait for this chat. Excellent, and also we've got joining us Ash, UK UAP on Twitter, who has also appeared on my podcast and is an all-round very knowledgeable guy from the UK. How are you doing, Ash? Very good, thank you, Frank. Yeah, good to be here and looking forward to some good discussion with you guys. So thanks for having me. Excellent. So two Ashes, so this could get a bit interesting. So we're going to be, (laughs) we've developed a bit of a, a protocol already. So we're going for Ash Ellis and Ash Ash. So that we'll, we'll see how that all plays out during the course of the show. Um, so as always, I'll introduce some topics and do a bit of a uh, you know an intro, a bit of a rundown of each one, and then we'll go around and get some different thoughts on it all. So the the, the first one is going to be the Calvin photograph. So it's been somewhat of a myth- mythical photograph which for for decades over 30 years to be precise has been a, a mythical image only available as a as a copy of a line drawing very pixelated and there was a, a recreation done as well by nick pope who apparently had a poster of this image on his office wall when he he works for the uk mod investigating ufos now some would say that Nick Pope somewhat overstated his role and built a bit of a career off the back of the mythology of this case, but that's another story. Uh, the main thing is that that now, after all this time, the actual photograph in question has been located. So a very brief summary of the case, just for any listeners who aren't familiar with it. Two people, whilst on the fairly remote location of a hillside near to Calvin in Scotland, um, doing something which is not exactly clear. I've heard sort of various things from poaching to other activities that might require you to be on a hillside at nine o'clock in the evening. But uh, the the main point is, while they were there, they saw something that looked like a large diamond-shaped object hovering silently with a military jet which is generally described as being a Harrier, doing multiple passes of the diamond-shaped objects, and six photographs were taken. Uh, Then, after around about 10 minutes, the diamond-shaped object shot up vertically at a high rate of speed, and the pictures were then sent to a local newspaper, which passed them to the MOD for advice, and that was basically the end of it, because the story never got published, the witnesses never came forward to offer any more than their initial statements, and the whole thing became a bit of a myth, for 30 odd years so eventually the photograph finally came out as a result of the investigation by dr david clark of sheffield university really sort of made it his mission to locate this image and went down to the actual area where the photograph was taken the nearby villages and whatnot literally posting wanted posters up on lamp posts and going door to door trying to find out if anyone had any information and eventually a former retired RAF press officer came forward revealing that he had one of the original photographs that he'd had hidden in a book in his house all this time. 
And uh, our friends at UAP Media UK brought this information forward to the public with a full resolution scan copy of the photograph, accompanied by an analysis by senior photography lecturer at Sheffield University, Andrew Robinson. And all manner of explanations have circulated online ever since. Of, of course, there's the possibility that we're looking at a non-human craft, but there's also been the reflection hypothesis, the distant mountain peak hypothesis, the, the, my favourite one, the Christmas tree star suspended on a wire hypothesis, the black budget tech hypothesis, and the list just goes on and on. So obviously a lot to discuss on this one. So let's just go around and get some general thoughts from you guys and see where it takes us. Are we looking at a non-human craft, a hoax, or a misidentification? Ash Ellis, what do you reckon, mate? <laughs> it's, I mean, I think the work by David and Vinny is great stuff. And I think it's can't take anything away from the particulars that they've been doing. And I've been working on it quite a while as well, them too. And it's great that we've actually got an actual photo or one of the copies of the photos out there, which is just awesome. I think the some of the sort of reaction originally was a bit too much. I just sat back watching it all sort of unfold, and like the reaction, some of the reactions was like it. It was the smoking gun. It was the best thing ever. It was the thing I've been waiting for. It's like, come on, just bring it down a little bit. It is at the end of the day. It's just one photo, and the photo is never going to be enough for for anything. And some thirty-year-old witness testimony from unknown witnesses there's not really any sort of background well just background but not any sort of solid background to it and but the question i've sort of had to myself is craig Lindsay, the ref press officer who had the photo i think he was quoted as saying he's been he's had this photo for all these years he's just been waiting for someone to come to him so this has like been a famous photo and he must have obviously had some sort of interest to sort of keep it for some reason all these years so why hasn't he in the past 30 years come forward a little bit earlier or reached out to someone to say i've got this photo i was involved in that original discussion 30 years ago why is it now it's just one question i don't know if that's been sort of posed anywhere else but well that question was asked to, to craig Lindsay, i don't know and also, my favourite theory, I guess, going back to the theories, is is probably quite sadly the reflection theory. I think I've seen, obviously, there's a lot of hypotheses and different variations on the reflection theory, and that's the one that I've seen that's had a lot more support than any of the others, even the it's an actual unknown craft. So for me, the reflection theory holds the most water. It's a bit <laughs> of a pun. Um, but that's 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 my initial thoughts i think the the whole hoo-ha around at the time was a bit too much and obviously wade just went around the world just instantly it was was good obviously it sparks interest which is one of the main things as well it's just getting in the mainstream media which is always good on serious articles as well which you've seen a lot of them coming out that week but for me yeah it's 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 a reflection yeah well the the reflection hypothesis was one I, I i kind of considered as one of the leading ones um personally in the end didn't find it to be um you know the answer uh in, in you know in the end but yeah definitely a lot of them have been thrown around isn't there and it, I, I think it's interesting to consider all the different ones because mm-hmm. you know you can't jump to conclusions with these types of things especially since there's not that much big picture data involved in this you know um 
the only thing uh, I have heard about the you know why he didn't come forward with it. I think there was a the a bit of a worry that he'd broken protocol in the first place by having actually kept the photograph. So he was kind of around the time he was a bit worried about that and put it in a book and then sort of almost forgot that he had it. But yeah, it is, that's it is fair. A, yeah, it is a good question though. Um, how about you, Dave? What do you reckon? Oh, I was nearly got the mute trap there, and I must say, uh, yeah, basically, uh, it's a bit of noise in the background. Hopefully, you, you won't uh, hear it too much uh, as people are coming in and out of the house against my express instructions. But anyway, the I thought personally, I thought it was really brilliant detective work. He's obviously been on the case. I actually thought the problem was pretty good with that RAF fella. I can understand why. I personally, I could understand why he didn't come forward. A bit like that in the RAF. He didn't really want to, he didn't know if he had permission and maybe the climate has given him that and somebody actually asking him. People are a bit weird like that, though, aren't we? We've had a few witnesses over the years who sit on stuff and then it's only when they're asked to go, oh, now you've asked me, I'll give it to you, you know. But I have seen that, that before as I've looked at, uh, you know, just as generally in the field. Uh, I do still wonder what those guys were up to, but we'll draw a veil over that up at that time, but we don't know. But the only reason I mentioned that, slightly chong-in-cheek, is that might explain why they've not come forward, because it would have been the top hat to have those witnesses. I mean, we have got a bit of a witness testimony from the MOD records, haven't we? You can read it as to what they said to the press officer, but it is third hand. Uh, I don't, well, you know, daring to tread against your expertise, Ash, I, I don't think it's a reflection myself. I didn't find any of those things particularly plausible just because I couldn't see anything for it to reflect off. Or, but, I mean, it's a matter of opinion, that is, that you can... I, I personally didn't find any of the explanations really held water for me. And so I thought it was something, a real object. That was my, I suppose, amateur view of it. So I didn't think it was a hoax. Uh, and I also thought if it was a hoax, why the cover-up, essentially? Why would they go to such lengths to cover it up if it wasn't real? Why would you have all this activity and reported activity and no, it isn't, and all the rest of it? Uh, so that was that was something for me. As to whether it was uh, ours or theirs, which seems to be the choices left to us, One, I personally thought if it was something, it's more like... Just looking at it, it was more likely to be sort of other, you know, of the other, whatever the other is, because there was aircraft buzzing around it, according to the witnesses. The performance was phenomenal, according to the witnesses. Again, this is just the witnesses, I, I do take that point. Going right up in the air and all the rest of it. And the Americans were really annoyed about it. And, and I just wondered, if why were they so annoyed if it was their secret text? Surely they didn't know where it was. Uh, you know, unless they thought the British had developed it. But one thing that makes me think it might be ours against my better judgment is that uh, basically the people who told the tale, Clark and a few of the others, they all seem to be implying quite heavily when they're interviewed that they knew it was a, there was something else they weren't saying that made them think it was American tech. They told the story of the meeting with the British Air Force in the Pentagon. Uh, I thought it, there was a couple of weird features, like almost a rotor on the back, and maybe it looked a bit like a tarpaulin over it, which would imply it was uh, on the ground with camouflage. I mean, I'm just clearly wildly spec. You know, I don't know, but just from what I looked at it. Uh, so it had some weird features. But the other thing that made me think it might be our tech uh, was that, you know, the Cash Landrum incident in, was it the 70s in America? 
where they had that dodgy aircraft flying along, like a similar shape. And the thinking with a lot of American helicopters around it irradiated two women and the little girl and all the rest of it. And that that the think theory behind that was it was a new it was an American craft. They tried to shove a nuclear engine in it. It hadn't worked and it was limping around the countryside with a similar shape. So I don't think it, it didn't look like a hoax to me. I thought it was more plausible, but it was a real object. But uh, and I think it, I would more likely think it's a, it's other tech just because of its performance. But the people who brought it forward seem so confident it's American tech. And there was a, that big base, you know, the big runway nearby where I think you told me about that, Ash Ash. You know, that one where they could land a space shuttle. shuttle. Yeah, RAF Macrahanish. Yeah, yeah. I remember you mentioned that to me ages ago. And uh, and that was where, and apparently they'd leased that out to do various secret, you know, whatever tech things. So I, I think there's a big, there's uh uh, so, well, that's what I think, basically. I'm not sure whether it's other or ours. The maxim used to be if it was triangular, it was ours, and if it was circular, it was theirs. But I don't think that holds true anymore. But anyway, so that's what I think. So there you go. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, the uh, the the black budget tech thing? Uh, I mean, it's, it's one that I sort of have to keep on the table a little bit. But I think the... Um, there's a bit of a disconnect between, like you say, I think a lot of the UAP media guys are quite, particularly David Clark, is quite on that as being the explanation. But a lot of the actual people I've spoke to from, you know, with like US Air Force expertise and things like that are quite confident that it's not. So that's kind of the thing that makes me question whether or not it could be. I mean, like, like you said, Ash, there, there is that, uh, the you know, the, the, the runway or is it an airfield or something like that, the nearby. Um but then apparently I've heard that there's a golf course nearby as well, so this makes it less likely that they would actually, you know, try out sort of classified bits of equipment and things like that. Um, and like I say, a few other people with quite good expertise on those those areas saying that it's, it's less likely. It's just one of those baffling mysteries, isn't it, really? But it's interesting to consider all them possibilities. So what, what do you reckon, Ash? Ash, Ash? Yeah, so um, my opinion I don't think it's a hoax. I don't think it's a reflection. Um, for me, it's just too angular. That it's, it's too angular. It's too precise and symmetrical. So if people are saying it's it's you know terrain below, it, it certainly doesn't look like that to me. Um, and then you know you're implying that someone's hoaxed it. And I think well, what have these people had to gain from it? You know, they're anonymous. We don't even know who they are. So what have they actually gained from it? If you're going to do something, surely there needs to be a benefit to it and a, and a gain, which there doesn't seem to be in this instance. And also, why didn't the MOD use that as an excuse at the time or as a way of debunking it? Because you know what they're like. Any any way that you can debunk it, any easy way of debunking it, they will take that opportunity. And that wasn't done on this occasion. If anything, it's actually got more suspicious because of all these allegations of D notices being put in place, you know, top secret uh, meetings between British and American officials and hush hush in it. And, you know, people weren't happy about the fact that these photos are out there. So it adds murkiness to it. And for me, that just, if it was a hoax, they'd, they'd just find a way of bottoming it out and say, well, this is what it is. It's someone playing around with a camera and, and reflections, which I just don't think it is. Um, so that leaves two things on the table for me, either the black black tech, black budget tech, or the, yeah, the others and, and, and whatever the phenomenon is and, you know, and whatever tech that might be. One thing I did pick up on though, is the, everyone's been going on about, oh, it supposedly had this amazing, I think you said phenomenal speed, Dave. Well, when I've actually looked at the reports, and I've, I've just had a quick check of the UAP media one as well, the way the witnesses described it was relatively high speed. Now, that, for me, is a bit of a... 
that's a bit different to oh it's supersonic yeah. it's, it's amazing speed relatively high speed i mean define that what what you define as relatively high speed might be different to someone else who's got no aircraft experience whatsoever so for me the, the easiest way of bottoming this out would be if we actually had access to the witnesses which obviously unfortunately we don't so we're just sort of stuck with old witness testimony the good what really good work of dr david clark uh, and everyone's sort of speculation around what it is um but that would really bottom it out straight away wouldn't it if we could ascertain exactly well what was the speed compare it with something we all know about and i think it's worth contextualizing it as well for the time period so this is you know back in the 90s look at the geopolitics of the of the world at the time the gulf wars happening collapse of soviet unions around the corner you know still in the cold war or coming towards the end of the cold war as well space race all that kind of stuff coming to the end of that so when you start looking at it through those lenses, I think I, I tend to err more towards black budget tech. Now, that being said, I still believe it could be something else on the table, but that's where I sort of uh, err towards. Particularly when you look at the fact, you know, the B2 stealth bomber was sort of uh, first unveiled to the world during the Gulf War. So that is very triangular, very similar sort of shape, interesting flight characteristics, etc. So was it some sort of prototype or an upgrade of that that, was being tested who knows it occurred in a low flying zone as well which is which is a recognized military zone for, for, for low flying so it would have had authorization potentially to do that and another thing this is just pure speculation but another thing i thought perhaps it was secret but not too secret like it wasn't at the level of the most secret thing that, that that's in the the arsenal and you know or, or in the in the air force and perhaps it had some other tech on it that you know we're not aware of some sort of like holographic pro- pro- projection tech or cloaking tech and, and perhaps it went wrong. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know what sort of level they were at advanced back in the 90s or whether even they're, whether we're even there now. But I do know that in the civilian world, I think there's some Japanese um, research scientists that have actually, I remember reading a study about it last year sometime, you know, they've actually been able to project micro, micro atoms or, or start, I'm not going to pretend I even understand it, but so they can basically project light into space remotely which is just insane. Imagine if you could scale that up, which obviously the military would want to weaponize it and do that. Perhaps that's what was taking place and that's what people saw. And that's why, you know, um, we can't explain what it is. I don't know. There's so much to it. I mean, we could probably easily talk about this for hours on end about all the different theories and what it is or isn't or could be. Um, But yeah, I think based on the information we have at the moment and like I say, considering the geopolitics and contextualizing it for the time period, I think I'm, I'm swaying more towards black budget tech yeah a really good points mate yeah and i think um like i said earlier i ended up basically with kind of anomalous craft or black budget tech as being the sort of you know leading explanations i know what i would like it to be you know which is obviously some kind of anomalous craft um but one of the things about the 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 black budget tech explanation is um i've heard a few people saying is like why would they test it there if it was like say for example it was some kind of joint us uk program or um if it was you know just a us program for some reason it was there why wouldn't they test that in some remote region of america unless obviously there is like you were saying when you bear in mind what the political climate around the world was at that time unless they actually sort of wanted it to be seen you know like to, to sort of put the fear into you know some adversaries and things like that what do, what do you reckon ash do you have any ideas as to why it might have been tested there apart from just obviously the the fact that that runway was nearby do you not think they would have gone for a, a really remote location potentially i mean there's rumors there's there's been rumors that 
you know, the RAF Macrohanish was used uh, for experimental test flights from the Nevada test range, so Area 51. There's rumors that, you know, the Aurora program, whether that did or didn't ever come into fruition, was was used as a route and, and that sort of took off from Nevada and then landed in Macrohanish. I mean, bearing in mind, again, it's one of the only places on the planet, it was a backup runway for the space shuttle. You know, there's not many runways in the world that could cope with with that landing. So it was a backup for the space shuttle. I think it was like five miles long or something like that. Um, that may or may not be correct. I'll just pick that up from thin air, but I think it's around that. that. So it's a huge runway. Um, and that's around 150 miles away, I think, from, from Calvin, which, you know, if you're flying a hypersonic speed craft is no, no time at all. So um, flying it in that area, I mean, let's, again, let's contextualize it. Scotland, although in, in comparison to the US, it's small. It's very remote, though. The, I think I saw something on Twitter the other day. Someone mm. had put the population density, and when you actually look at it, most of it is is just barren, you know, space. Like there's no one living there, so it's probably a risk worth taking. You know, if you want to fly something and you need that particular terrain and you want to test something through mountainous regions and you want to be close to a friendly nation, friendly home base, then it's probably a good bet to do it there. And if people do see it, if the odd one or two people do it, you can probably quite easily debunk it. You can probably you know sweep that under the carpet. They probably didn't expect someone to have a fairly decent camera and be able to take six shots of it very quickly, which obviously probably sent them into meltdown. But yeah, I don't I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that that, that they'd test it there. Um, I mean, you have to test it somewhere, and that you know you can't necessarily negate where people are going to be every moment of the day, do you? Can you? So yeah, I don't know. What are you saying, Greg? So <clears throat> my thoughts are, first of all, we haven't discussed the fact that Nick Pope has been on about this picture being on the back, blown up for some time, um, and that whether or not that lends any credibility to the fact that he worked in an office with this picture in, I don't know. Um I found it a very interesting photo because my, like we've discussed before, I'm more from the paranormal side, although we've been talking a lot about UFOs in recent podcasts. Um, so for this to come out, it, does, it is interesting timing, like it was mentioned. There's a lot going on in the world of UFOs now, so whether or not that was the right time for it all to sort of sync up and this guy to to agree to come out because it's not seen as such a um, sensitive subject, shall we say? Um, I think it's. I I I don't know what to think it is. I've spoken to Ash about the reflection theory. I've seen the mountain theory, um, which is quite compelling when you you watch the videos, but. Where there's only one, we've only seen one picture. It's, it is very difficult to to get any kind of context in it, apart from what we see. And if we take everything that we're seeing on face value, it's definitely, in my mind, it, it's something unidentified. Whether that's US, UK, or something else, I think it's um, it's done nothing but to propel the subject forward certainly in the mainstream so people like yourselves who are into the ufo stuff all the time it probably didn't do as much because i know ash wasn't that excited about it 
Um, and we'd spoken about that at the time. Um, I think to the general population, which I sit myself in, I think it was a big step forward to say that we've got this photo. It's a legit unidentified object of some kind. And it's been missing for 30 years. I think the whole way it came out is very compelling to someone like me. So I like the idea of it being an unknown object. Whether it is, I don't know. But from my point of view, it's a great photo. It is a great photo. Yeah, it's a really interesting point as well as to whether the the actual current climate with the you know reduction of the stigma and all the rest of it actually played a part in him mm-hmm. in actually you know coming forward and also as well the way that this has been covered in you know media outlets and things like that has actually been quite reassuring like whatever you think of the photograph whatever you think you know which is the best hypothesis to explain it and all the rest of it i think overall most of the actual articles i've seen written about it and not just the one you know from uap media uk who brought it forward but generally the kind of the media chatter about it i, I thought it's been pretty good it's not been sort of like wacky x-files music and all the rest of it you know i've seen a lot of articles pretty rational and credible and uh, you know looking into it so that's good to see but i think yeah also oh sorry also just to to say that um this these photos taken before the internet came out so these guys who taken the photo wouldn't necessarily have had as much uh, exposure to to what was out there so to say it was a hoax it yeah it's always a possibility but at the time they didn't come forward and like ash mentioned what did they have to gain from it because back then there was no internet it was it was if it wasn't in the newspapers it didn't happen really and nobody knew about it so we're looking at it from a internet generation point of view and saying well it could be this could be this could be this but back then there was none of that so whether the guys have faked it based on the fact oh we'll just do this upside down because in a reflection because that'll take a great photo i i think nowadays that would happen but i don't know about then 30 years ago a different world completely different world it was a lot different back then. And, you know, it's, it's sort of, I hadn't really thought about this too much until I've heard you guys talking and what Ash mentioned earlier as well about, um, you know, the type of camera that they would have been back then. It wasn't like somebody's whipped out their iPhone and took this picture, is it? They would have had to have a pretty decent camera. So, like, that sort of opens up a few questions as well. Like, why were they on a hillside at 9 o'clock at night? with a camera because like cameras back then they weren't like nice little slip it in your pocket things they were fairly especially good cameras so i mean i don't know maybe that suggests that they were up there doing some bird watching and they were going to take pictures of birds i don't i don't know but um and another thing that um that uh, i'd i'd considered as a, as a as an option as to what this might actually be and this again goes back to what you were saying ash with the thing of the witness testimony actually suggests that it moves off a, what was it again a relatively high rate of speed or something like that yeah re- relatively high uh, speed i think is what, what was written in the the recent article yeah and, and and also dave you mentioned about the potentially being covered in a tarpaulin i was thinking about the the possibility of something like a uh, like a stealth blimp 
You know what I mean? Some the sorts of thing that the military mm. might have maybe yeah. maybe as part of a training exercise, or maybe you know some kind of because we know obviously the military have used even going back to World War One and World War Two, they used blimps to silently hover over towns and then drop bombs and stuff like that. Maybe they were experimenting with some kind of diamond shaped blimp, which would actually you know be stealthy just because of the sort of vaguely reminiscent of like stealth bombers and things like that this you know the shape maybe maybe that shape is quite good for reflecting uh or you know uh, not showing up on on radars and things like that and if that was the case they might have been testing how that airborne object how how the stealth blimp would react if it was approached by a jet because you would want to know that wouldn't you if you were thinking about potentially deploying one of these things and then maybe at the end of the training exercise, it went up because it, it, if it's not going up at a supersonic speed, which depending on how you interpret the witness testimony, maybe it did just drift upwards, which if you cut the tethers off the bottom of a blimp, it might go up at a relatively high rate of speed. You know what I mean? So it was my little uh, addition to the various other hypotheses that are out there. I'm not saying that's definitely what it is. As I say, I would much prefer it to be some kind of anomalous non-human craft, but I did think that was uh, worth mentioning. I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts on, on that. Uh, I I did think uh, that was a good point Ash Ash made there about it. I, that's a really good spot about the rate, rate of descent because that makes a big difference. Because I remember you mentioning that balloon theory to me, Frank, and after I stopped laughing, I actually found <laughs> he's got a really good point here, and I think he's quite far. I thought, oh, it's quite plausible that. So I think that's a really good point. And do you remember that USS? Is it Kapang or something like that? Uh, he was in '73 off the in the Arctic Sea. Uh, there's pictures. It's a famous picture of a triangular thing, and it's as if it's been shot at by the Navy. I can't, I can't remember. And I've seen the 11 shots of that, and one of the theories is that was actually a target balloon. And if you look at it, one of the shots, it looks dead like a UFO. But in other shots, it looks more like a balloon. So if they do have these big target things, it could well be something like, oh, there might be a bit of that technology knocking around. So I think that there's a bit that there is after saying, oh, no, it's, uh, there's no other explanation. There may, that is a good, I remember thinking, yeah, that's a good one, that. So the, it could well be that. I mean, again, why... Why they cover it up, I don't quite know. That's always a strong argument. Uh, I, I just want just one more thing I'd like to say, and it's just just an interesting thing. Uh, it was a bit about David Clark's article in the Daily Mail. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, I really like David Clark, even though he's very sceptical. I've watched him on Vinny's show; he's been absolutely brilliant. But at the end of his Daily Mail article, he sort of he sort of out of character, really, and I thought he shot himself in the foot a little bit because he said. Well, this shows that it's all U.S. To paraphrase, it's all U.S. tech, really, and I'm sadly it's not conspiracies and little green men because it's all likely U.S. tech. And I thought he's got absolutely no evidence. There's decades of evidence. Why say that? And I think he also David Marler pointed out that he, he named a Star Trek. He said, "Oh, after Star Trek, that's when triangular UFO started to appear." Now he's a great guy, David Clark, and he's an asset to the community. But I, the reason I mention it, he's not particularly to have a go at him because he's entitled to his opinion. But I did wonder if there was a bit of confirmation bias going on, if he strongly thinks that in the face of quite a bit of evidence to the contrary, whether he was more prone to the American tech thing. I mean, I don't think that's true because there seem to be other things. But I was quite disappointed with that, with that comments at the end of the article because I don't think you can make that statement. But as I say, I just wondered if he was particularly going towards that theory. So... That's just an interesting, but I have got, don't get me wrong. He's done brilliant work and 
he's not a, you know, I do respect his opinion, but on that, I thought he was a bit off base, to be honest with you. I was a bit disappointed in that. And if I want to add any any comments there on the Calvin? Uh, one thing, one final thing I want to say is I'm not sure, I'm not seeing if anyone, like other people, have really come to a conclusion about the comparisons to the Puerto Rico hoax photo. It's mm. a very, very similar image of the diamond craft. Looks like a plane traveling behind it. And when you put them next to each other, they are very, very similar. So I'm just not sure if anyone like on Twitter or whatever has sort of come up with a reason or just totally been able to debunk that that is similar, like sort of like a recreation. When you go back to a hoax, if someone was aware of that Puerto Rico photo, they've recreated it pretty well if they're making a hoax of it. Or what is that just been a coincidental thing? I'm not, mm. not really seeing if people have said much about that. Yeah, go ahead, Ash. Yeah, is that not just like um, a little bit of confirmation bias as well, though? Like, there's like thousands of photos out there of UFOs, and it's it's like when you buy a new car, isn't it? You you know you don't see them, and then suddenly you see the same car every 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 third car is the same mm. one. But you know, yeah. suddenly we've seen this photo, and now we're thinking, well, what other photos look like that out there? And we're just making that comparison. I don't know. Is it a bit of that? Possibly. Um, yeah, it could be. you know, funnily enough, I actually saw something. I'm pretty sure, uh, if if memory serves, it might have actually been David Clark himself. He posted um, those two pictures um, side by side, and he, he 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 was the question was asked was something along the lines of was this the photograph that inspired you know uh, Calvin as as being done as a hoax? So um, I'm not exactly sure if it was an article or a video or something like that, but I know that he did post something about that the other day, but I didn't get a chance to read it, so um, might be worth yeah, checking that out uh, like i said i don't know what extent he, he looked at that but I, I think for me i think the the main conclusion i ended up coming to as much as any any one of these hypotheses is quite interesting to think about it without like 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 you guys were saying before imagine if like the witnesses came forward and did a three-hour podcast talking about it just be, there'd be so much more that you could actually be able to discern from body language the way they're talking you could probe and ask questions did it go off at high, you know, hypersonic speed or did it drift you know things like that you could clarify and also like if there was let's say you know comparing it to the nimitz case for example imagine if there was a, a radar operator nearby who who saw it go at a ridiculous speed on the radar and then maybe even that you know the pilot of that jet came forward that is when we'd really be in business isn't it as to actually be able to figure out like what the thing is but we've, we're kind of left without those details it's yeah i think you get to a point where you go it could be this and this but yeah i can't yeah. really say for sure I think if we had just even just one more of the photos would answer a lot of questions. You could probably wipe out a lot of theories with just even just one more of them six photos. But until we have anything else, it's it is all just theories, which is fun. That's it as well. You know, the other thing I was thinking about, and again, this may might have been addressed somewhere, but if I was on a hillside and I saw this object and I was stood there for 10 minutes, I would have took a lot more than six photographs. So does that suggest, like, is a bit weird that they only took six? Maybe they only had six photographs worth of film left because it would have been a film camera. Or maybe that suggests that there could actually be other negatives somewhere out there of other photographs that had been taken and they didn't send all of them to the actual newspaper or something. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of that too much before. I don't know if you guys had... Uh, Got any thoughts on that? 
I think we're so used to digital phones these days, uh, you know, camera phones that we just assume click, 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 click. You can just take thousands of photos and worry about it and delete the bad 4K ones. video. Yeah, but I think back then, you know, you really had to sort of pick you your shot. Like an old crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> and they said they were hiding, weren't they, as well, from wherever it was. So they were hiding. Yeah, they ran back to the tree line, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, t- I tell you what, though, it would have been, I reckon, if it hadn't been for this recent, it would have been any other decade or any five years ago, it would have been a massive story, this, and it just shows where we are, but it's not such a... And I wonder if they rushed it out a bit because they thought they knew stuff about earrings and everybody saying various, which was nice lead into what we're going to discuss, I suspect, next. But, uh, uh, but you know, the context, the amount of thought, well, we better get this out there, otherwise it's going to be totally overshadowed. But nonetheless, it would have been massive five years ago, and Nick Pope would have probably had a couple of books out on it, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah and, and that's it dave you know at the end of the day it's uh you know it, it sort of shows you know this this photograph coming out has dropped into the current climate of where everything is and you know we've we've basically got a quite a high standard now as as people are interested in this in terms of cases we've got so many other good ones um that you know that you can sort of judge this against you know there's a the, for, for me as you guys know i'm a bit of a nimitz nerd uh, that's the gold standard in terms of like plenty of data to to get stuck into so um but the the thing is as well though is that now that that's actually out i've actually spoken to vinny um you know offline and that kind of thing and we've we've uh, discussed a little bit that they've got other leads that they're following and the publicity that the actual release of this photograph um, is going to generate might actually prompt, you know, maybe the witnesses if they're still alive or maybe other people who can corroborate it and things like that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it, how it progresses. But I think at the moment we kind of you get as far as you can go and then that's about it, isn't it, really? So I think we'll move swiftly on then. Uh, like Dave alluded to, uh, some of the other bits and pieces that are going on in the States. So basically, um, Professor Gary Nolan's recent involvement in the in the, in the the UFO topic, I suppose you could say, really. Um, so Gary Nolan recently has uh, stepped into the void that's been left by the departure of Lou Elizondo from the public eye and the podcast circuit. Now, Gary Nolan is uh, somebody who I've talked about a lot, on the podcast, he, he first kind of came to my attention when he, he sort of basically debunked the Atacama skeleton from one of Stephen Greer's films uh, some years ago. Now, at that time, Gary Nolan was definitely not flavor of the month with many people in the UFO community because he was basically seen as kind of raining on the parade, so to speak. But what I took from it was that, you know, this guy's clearly got the scientific knowledge, the resources uh, and, and open mind enough to actually tackle some of this stuff. And he's also willing to follow the data wherever it leads. And when I say he's got a scientific knowledge, he's, he's literally one of the world's leading scientists in studying cancer and immunology. We're talking about literally a guy who's a genius level scientist, Nobel Prize nominee, whose day job is, is literally to cure cancer. You know, not to mention he's actually had cancer himself as well, multiple times, by the way. I don't hear many people mentioning about that. And he's he's um, he's invented methods and machinery which have gone on to be used at the forefront of medical science, and he's been key in developing material analysis equipment, and, and then he's actually turned that to actually analyze material from alleged UFO crashes. So a really interesting character. 
And the kind of the main points I wanted to to bring up for discussion today is, is Gary Nolan's bombshell appearance on Tucker Carlson, in which he revealed that he personally briefed Representative Gallagher before the congressional UFO hearing uh, some months ago now about the Wilson Davis document. And he also then went on to do an interview with Ross Coltart, which just came out literally a few days ago, um, in which he, he openly endorses those documents as being real, which is very significant, I think, for somebody in Gary Nolan's position, especially considering that he moves in the same circles as a lot of the people that are actually mentioned in the document. He knows Eric Davis, you know, obviously he was one of the people, Wilson Davis. So long story short, just for anybody who's not aware, um, the, the document refers to alleged deeply buried crash retrieval programs and has been quite controversial even within the UFO communities to whether it's legit, a hoax, or a mixture of the two. But definitely Gary Nolan throwing his weight behind this document is quite a big step in the direction of taking that document more seriously as a legit document. And the other thing that's worth remembering is that Nolan had actually said that he was aware of whistleblower protection legislation being drawn up actually before that actually became public knowledge. And as we know, there's there's literally whistleblower protection language in the uh, Intelligence Authorization Act and Nation, National Defense Authorization Act for 2023 in the States. And it seems as though that's going to be signed into law, which would pave the way for people involved in crash retrieval efforts and legacy UFO programs within the US government to actually come forward without fear of prosecution. And Nolan says literally point blank that he's aware personally and he's been approached by whistleblowers who are ready to come forward, and it's just a case of getting that whistleblower protection in place before they do so. And and he's also confirmed that he's got direct knowledge of the government cover-up and misinformation on this UFO issue. It's really sort of, you know, got chills kind of listening to some of the stuff that he's been talking about in these these interviews on, on TV, you know, on Tucker Carlson, like mainstream news. Pretty wild. So... Yeah, let's let's kind of go around and get you guys' thoughts on, on all of that. Obviously, there's quite a lot in there, so just kind of whatever thoughts you might have, really. So what do you reckon, Dave? Uh, well, God, Gary Nolan's definitely on a media offensive, isn't he, at the moment? Uh, there is talk, uh, talk, ooh, that favourite, about uh, him sort of replacing Louis, in a way, as being the spokesperson of uh, for the sort of the pro-disclosure movement but are working actively to get Congress to get the message out in hearings. So I, I personally think, I mean, I don't want to make it sound too conspiratorial because he's a fantastic bloke, Gary, Gary Nolan. No airs and graces. Great guy. Talk to anybody. Peckable. What a bloke he really is. Admirable person. So when he talks, we all sit up and listen to him. And he's also very good, you know, when he's talking. He's got a great manner about him. But he's just so credible. But... So to me, he's, but he's obviously something's got him at it. And I think it's about the thing that you talked about on your show the other day is something coming, which is to frame these hearings, uh, you know, that are coming up with supposed whistleblowers. And the Wilson Davis documents, rather than being a casual remark in those senatorial hearings, looks to be some sort of seminal foundation piece to sort of the case for the prosecution, as it were, which is going to be about crash retrievals. But he mentioned with a straight face and quite calmly, as if it was a matter of fact. Cover-up had gone on for decades and they tried to keep it secret. He was convinced there was a non-human intelligence, very advanced, very maybe hard, we can't understand it, 
not sure if it was a civilization or something else. So he didn't leave out the some weirder nature to it. So so that was that was a big thing. When pressed by Tucker Carlson, he actually said that the consensus was it was non-human and he implied it was extraterrestrial, I seem to remember. He sort of didn't say that when he spoke to Ross. Uh, he said there's going to be a hearing soon, like you said, Frank, whistleblowers. Uh, Ross sort of confirmed this, Ross Coulthard. He had the Wilson Davis and was bang out there, unequivocal, yes, definitely real. Went into the story. Uh, it, it confirms his close involvement, really, in all this sort of stuff. So it was just to me, it blew my head off, to be frank with you, when I seen it. I thought, my God, I've never heard anybody say it. It's not certainly like him. And it was, he wasn't, the main thing, he wasn't messing about. He just said it like it was clearly a fact. And when a man of his credentials says that, you think, well, you know, who's going to, I mean, I know you can't just believe it because he says so, but it's a bit different to somebody else saying it, isn't it? So I, I, I thought it was mega, but I also thought it was part of, uh, where, Apart from, as I say, this anti-disclosure movement, he's not just thought, oh, got up one day and thought, I'll say that. It's clearly part of an offensive, because I think, and I may be wrong here, but I think what happened last time when Gillibrand come up, he thought, great, they all sat back and it, oh, great, we passed it. And then the fix was put in, the anti-disclosure movement started doing all sorts, put the uh, uh, AIOM at SMG, I'm forgetting that now, thank God. Uh, uh, they put that in place. They put the fix in in terms of the oversight, the the governance oversight it was going to have, and basically they sort of squashed the, the Gillibrand. And you could see the UAA, the, the, the next one coming up, as maybe a response to that. So I think they put Gary out this time to really and said they're going to have hearings to try and nobble the opposition, as they used to say about Northern Ireland. They like to equalise before the other side scores. Do you know what I mean? It's that uh, they want to sort of get in. They want to get their retaliation in first. But the other thing I would say, what it proved to me with Gary Nolan is slide nine, for people who don't know, that's the thing that was a supposedly missing slide deck that was come from a TTSA briefing by Chris Mellon. That talked about the beans being able to open portals, go through matter, control people's thoughts, manipulate reality, all these sort of things. I heard a lot of echoes of that within what Gary was sort of saying one way or the other. And I think slide nine, which may link to us later on to what we're going to talk about, that is a big thing. What does that mean? And those, because if you're thinking about that kind of power, the phenomenon may be much more complex than we think it is. And it's the link to the paranormal link, the UFO link, cryptid link. There's all those links there. So anyway, sorry, I've got a bit off topic, but the point is I thought, Gary, I thought it was absolutely mind blowing. When I heard it, I, it really took me aback. I thought it was really significant. Yeah, it's pretty, it's wild, isn't it? Like a you know a Nobel Prize nominee, you know, one of the leading scientists in the world. You know, the, there's a lot of a lot of scientists in this topic that that people can kind of throw shade on. You know, various people have done this in the past, done that in the past. Gary Nolan's one of those. It's pretty difficult to really find to dish any dirt on the guy. You know, he's 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 kind of ticked all the right boxes, really, and uh, it, and actually turns out a very charismatic guy as well when he's doing these kind of TV appearances. So. Yeah, I'm I'm quite uh, quite happy to see it really. And um, what do you reckon, Ash? Anything to add on that? Wait, Ash, 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 me. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree with uh, most of what Dave said there. Yeah, um, 
Gary's been very brazen, hasn't he? He's almost like become the flag bearer for, for getting academia involved, which is great to see because, you know, we do need these experts and we need people with scientific credentials to get involved and feel safe and secure in coming forward and getting involved in a conversation, which I think we've lacked for so long, which is which is kind of, you know, lacked. it's almost gone some way to give the give the topic it's lacked that credibility but i think having people like gary on board certainly raises the bar and you know gets people interested and hopefully gets funding as well because i think that's a big part of it as well getting funding for this research um what i found quite interesting though is i think something that's just just related to gary nolan is it, it became apparent a few months ago that gary nolan is actually james the character james in diana pasoka's um american cosmic book uh, which you know has been mentioned, but I don't think people have really looked into. It. I mean, I need to reread it with that in mind now. That actually, when she refers to James, it's Gary. But if you if you remember back, James has come from a family of experiences, and I know um, Gary's alluded to this before as well. But even in last, I think it was the last episode of Calling All Beings. Shout out to DJ and the team, great podcast. Um, but when Gary was on there, uh, he mentioned that his brothers, his brother, frequently experiences things, or he alluded to that. So you know, what's the background there? You know, is this another reason why he's so interested in it? And you mentioned he'd had cancer before and, knew, you know, had it several times. So is it almost like he's really into this because he's almost trying to find a cure for and trying to understand why he why he uh, ascertained all these injuries and, and, and the negative aspects of the phenomenon. So he's clearly personally involved in it. Um, he's got, you know, personal experience and a reason for doing it. But he's also got the academic, um, you know, repertoire to back it up, which I think is definitely needed. Um, another interesting thing I've, I thought from uh from what he mentioned on the corner being thing the other day he was asked a question uh, about whether he'd signed an nda to look at all these you know he was investigating this havana syndrome all the all the different um scans that people were having and stuff like that and he said that he hadn't um and that he was just following the hipaa requirements which is the american requirement around not obviously divulging patient information that kind of stuff um, which i think is quite telling really because it, it kind of is a convenient way of keeping him in the know like he knows enough but he's not under security oaths or security clearances that he's going to you know, um, be, be detrimental to anything they're trying to trying to keep secret. It's almost like it, it works for everyone. It's beneficial for all parties to keep Gary like on the fringe of it. He knows enough and he can talk freely about it, a little bit like Tom DeLong. Um, but there's never the worry that he's going to reveal something, you know, that's, that's under security clearance or whatever. So I think it's quite convenient for all parties. And he's clearly very well connected, knows a lot more than he's letting on. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's an interesting time to see Gary involved in this. I think the last point, I just wanted to raise really, and it's purely speculative, is this link between Havana syndrome and, and you know, the phenomena and what people are experiencing here. Um, has the study of UAP phenomena itself, like has the military study of that, whether it's our military, America, whoever, Russia, China, whoever, has that kind of almost led to the weaponization of it? And that actual, the reason they're linked is because someone studied this tech and they've created a psychotronic weapon from it. So this is kind of the negative aspect of the phenomenon and, you know, and why people are so reluctant to put it out in the public domain because instantly someone will try and militarize it, weaponize it and use it for, for bad rather than good. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, that link there. I mean, I'm probably better off not going on a big rant about it, but um, there's definitely some, some overlap there between uh, Havana syndrome and UAP exposure. And by all accounts, the the study that was done, the cohort study, there was you know, some you know uh, unentangling of 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 those two groups of people that that had to take place and whatnot. And I've talked about that uh, a bit a bit on on my podcast uh, in in the past. And yeah, the, the the reasons why there might be some overlap there is pretty fascinating to consider. It's also really interesting that point about um, 
you know, he, he comes from a family of experiences. Like he's actually um, genetically predisposed to actually having experiences because he's he's actually talked about again uh, uh, supposedly according to the, the current explanation of this is that that cohort study actually stumbled upon this uh, basal ganglia anomaly in the brain um, which is actually again something that runs in families and one of the links that he's investigating it is um, you know whether or not that is actually more likely to lead you to have experiences with the phenomenon. And if that is the case, it's kind of directly linked to his own experiences. And there's an interesting parallel there as well with the fact that Gary Owens talked about being genetically predisposed to cancers as well. And one of his main things in life is to, to do that. So it's, there's a sort of interesting parallel going on there. Um, but yeah, what, what do you reckon, uh, Ash Ellis? <laughs> uh, so I think the first, thing I want to sort of say is I think we, I mean, we as a community can sort of high, hold people sort of a higher esteem because they are a professor or a doctor. Like we've got, we've got Avi Loeb, you've got Gary Nolan, you've got professors at Stanford, professors at Harvard. And sometimes, I mean, people can probably give him a bit too much of a pedestal and that like, he's saying it, so that must be more true than what someone else is saying. When, when it comes to obviously this phenomena, no one really knows what is true. There's no real scientific history you can go off, the tests you can do. There isn't really anything you can do with that. That said, obviously, I love Avi Loeb and what he's doing. But Gary Nolan, I've not watched the recent stuff with Gary Nolan. I've read tidbits, obviously, the non-human intelligence, talking about the whistleblowers, and he knows some of the whistleblowers that are ready to come forward. But Gary Nolan is a guy, I think, if there was someone to be a spokesman for the UFO community, I think that would be the perfect guy. Because he does have the, obviously, the, the education, scientific approach, the, like you mentioned then about the experience history, so you can see both sides of it. You've got the experiencer side of it, and you've got the scientific side of it, which is the two sort of different sides of ufology coming together in, in one person, which is awesome. And he does seem to know what he's talking about. And he, like I say, I think I said, he he says it how it is. He doesn't really care. Like he will say, this is what I believe to be true. So I'm going to say it. I'm not going to like sort of mess around. This is what, this is how it is. And take it or leave it. So I think on the current stuff, like I say, I've not had a chance to read or listen to the shows he's been on. But for him as a person... I think it's super interesting, and I think he, he can really, like Lou, I think with Gary, we can really push forward again, and he is a good person to, to be talking about it right now, which is awesome. Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying about the dangers of putting people on pedestals as well. I think we sort of saw a bit of that with Lou Elizondo. You know, it kind of goes so far, and then the backlash begins, and then it can sort of actually sort of tear the community apart from within sort of thing, you know, and I just hope it doesn't get to that stage with, with Gary Nolan, you know, and um, it'd, be, it'd be good, really, I suppose, to have multiple people rather than just one figurehead sort of thing, wouldn't it, you know? Um, but, yeah, I think one of the things that, that really... I mean, all of it stands out to me, to be quite honest, uh, uh, that I was talking about earlier on. But one of the main ones is the Wilson Davis notes. Because, I mean, it's like the, the, you know, the, the thought of a document existing which really strongly points towards crash retrieval programs that they've actually retrieved, you know, non-human technology and are attempting to do things with it. 
absolutely fascinating to me. And, and and obviously the fact that he's been so, you know, confident about whistleblowers potentially involved with that, bearing in mind as well, with crash retrievals and legacy UFO programs, these these whistleblowers who are itching to come forward and they're just waiting for that legislation to go through. Really, really interesting. You got any thoughts to add on that, Greg? Um, yeah, just about the whistleblower protection, because it sounds good. And it says that you'll be protected from like negative um, issues after you come forward. <clears throat> but there's definitely ways that they can restrict people, not overtly. So my fear is that, yes, you'll get whistleblower protection. However, they can limit what happens to you in the future. So I think there's still people who are going to say, well, I've got my career and I've got the knowledge, am I going to risk? Because essentially, once you come forward, regardless of whether you've got protection, it doesn't mean a great deal, really, because you can be passed over for promotion. You Somebody else can get the role that you're looking to move into. There's ways that people can do it. I've seen it in other companies, not necessarily whistleblowers, but the fact that if you don't fit... The narrative that that company wants to portray or the the moving forward of that company there are ways that they can limit your access to go down a certain career path so uh, although these whistleblowers are going to come out and there will be some people that come out definitely um i think there will still be a fear from people because the unknown is what is going to happen once I come forward. I've got protection that says I can't be impacted negatively as a result of this. However, it it will happen. I can't see how they would let somebody still remain in a position of authority, potentially, um, with access to information like that, if it's not how they want the narrative to play out. So it will be interesting to me as to what happens to those first whistleblowers. I mean, they'll be treated probably a bit like um, someone like Bob Lazar, um, like Commander Favour, um, those kind of people where they'll get the limelight for a bit. But future people, when the narrative's a little bit older, I don't, I don't know if they're going to start mm. coming forward because of repercussions even though there's a protection in place. I don't I don't think that it's not worth the paper it's written on. That's just my opinion. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fair enough, and it's a, it's a good point. It's not necessarily about, like, um, prosecution and things like that. There's a lot of other more subtle ways that people could be impacted by coming forward as a, as a whistleblower. And yep. also, as well, it's not... Um, none of this is really kind of set in stone just yet. I mean, like you said, I think, earlier on, Dave... Um, you know the things that were that were proposed in the the Gillibrand amendment. You know the the people who were uh, on the side of of continuing the obfuscation have managed to twist that around and wriggle out of it by this creating this AOIMSG office. And you know the, the, they've managed to do it that way. And I think the the toughening up of the language that's that's going through at the moment is basically a reaction to that. But that's not to say, oh, it's tough language. We'll just go ahead with it. Then they're going to try and wriggle out of it all over again. And and Nolan even said the other day he was mentioning on Twitter 
that you know the whistleblowers might change their mind you know and if a few little subtle tweaks of that legislation you know and it doesn't go through it's not as favorable condition for a whistleblower might not blow the whistle in the end anyway so it's there's a lot still to play for sort of thing you had something to add there dave yeah i just think greg's got a really well observed point on that and i think the profile of whistleblower is likely to be people whose careers are near the end or have done something yeah. else, and I think that is absolutely that is really uh, a really good point. That because I don't think I think you would you wouldn't come forward in the middle of your career. You wouldn't risk it, would you? Because you, you think they're going to nobble you anyway, even if your fears are misplaced. Uh, so I think that's a really good point. But I think that will mean I'm expecting the profile is going to be the older guard, as it were, who, who are going to come forward, and, or people who are doing something else entirely now. Uh, could I, could I just make one other point, which I thought was a great one about uh, Ash, uh, Ash's point, uh, not Ash, Ash, normal Ash. God, where am I going with that? Get the shovel out and keep digging there. <laughs> but uh, normal Ash is fine. I can't think of which of the which of the Ashes to go. No, but anyway, the point you made was a really important one about putting people on pedestals because it does really irritate me a lot of the time because it does denigrate other people's experience a lot and. That show you guys did on the, that guy who was seeing the elementals, who was in Africa, uh, what yeah. a fantastic show that was. He was, he, he was talking about things he'd seen, things he'd captured, and he, I thought he was really credible. You know, he didn't have this massive scientific background, and yet his lived experience was really, really good to listen to. And I think I just thought, hey, that was a fantastic show, and everybody should listen to it. But it makes that point really well. It doesn't just have to be. Obviously, Gary Nolan's got connections, and we listen to him for a reason. It's not just because he's a professor. But you're right. You're dead right to make that point, uh, Ash. I think that's really, really important. And we can too often get carried away with, uh, with you know, the establishment, as it were, and not listen to that lived experience. And particularly when it comes to the paranormal, and where we're getting closer to that, and the sort of that part of the phenomena. The lived experience is really, really important. So I didn't mean to go off on one then, but I do, I do think that's, that's that show was brilliant. By the way, I must just say that. Yeah, nice one, Dave. Great points there. Anybody else got any bits and pieces to add on the the Gary Nolan whistleblowers, Wilson Davis side of things? I was just going to add add on a point to what Dave was saying there, but you're absolutely right. You know, we we put we put witnesses on pedestals as well, don't we? In in these sort of cases, we go, oh, there was a, they're a pilot, so they, they must be, you know, they've still got a Mark One eyeball. They're no different. So, so what makes a pilot suddenly their their account much better than you know a guy that, that, that that's a binman walking down the street doing that? Well, why is that any different? Yeah. You know, you, you we just put labels on people and we say, oh, well, just because you do that job, you're suddenly a great witness. Well, well, no, why 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 not? You know, he's still he's still got a brain, he's still got eyeballs, he's still seeing what's in front of them. So, I think we do it as well when it comes to witnesses that have experienced things and experiences. And yeah, we, we seem to put more credibility on someone just based on their job or, or what they look like, which is which is just wrong. And I think we're probably missing out on a lot of data. You know, we talk about data and how we should collect data, and we need more data to confirm the phenomena and work out what it is. Well, if we're actually you know, discarding a lot of stuff and go, well, we don't actually want to speak to you because we don't believe you because you're not a you're not a pilot, you're not a military person blah 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 then we're missing out on a lot of really good accounts i think so um yeah i just wanted to add that really well it is ash i think it's like debunker armor we subconsciously think right they're going to nobble us on this point so we need to pick the best witness who's unassailable now it isn't i would you know obviously with an airline pilot you would listen you wish because of all the training 
But it is you thinking, right, I've got a pick. And in the act of trying to protect yourself against the, the debunker, you do that what you're saying and you sometimes disregard other stuff. I think that's like a good that. point. So interesting it, point. That, that, that is a good point. And that's, that's kind of what we do in uh, criminal trials, isn't it? You know, that, say that someone's witnessed a robbery, the homeless guy's witnessed it, but then you've got the CEO of a, a large company that's witnessed it as well. Who are you going to use as the witness? You know, and that, that's, that's, yeah, that's yeah. kind of the similar thing as what's yeah, going on here, isn't it? Yeah, great points. Right, shall we shall we crack on with the next topic? Cool. So moving on to basically another high-profile scientist who is a sort of long-standing researcher into the phenomena, and that is uh, Harold Puttoff, otherwise known as Hal Puttoff. So Puttoff has a PhD in electrical engineering and has been a consultant to many US government programs as well as being a part of uh, and a founding member, I believe, of TTSA. And I think it's safe to say that Puttoff hasn't shied away from some of the um, areas which could be described as fringe kind of topics outside of uh, mainstream science. Uh, Puttoff recently uh, published a paper entitled Ultra Terrestrial Models, which examines the possibility of an advanced non-human intelligence existing on this planet as being an explanation for some of the things being witnessed in terms of the anomalous sightings. Uh, the, the paper describes uh, ultra-terrestrial uh, hypothesis to explain that as uh, a, an ancient occult group, isolated pre-diluvial high-tech society, stranded ETs, gods, i.e. a sequestered terrestrial culture. Bit of a mouthful there. Uh, and the quote from the introduction of the paper is, quote, under consideration in this paper are two seminal statements and their concomitants currently unknown as follows. Number one, there is an unidentified phenomenon interacting with the current human population on Earth. And number two, it is currently unknown whether the phenomenon is exclusively extraterrestrial, extra-dimensional, crypto-terrestrial, demonic, slash jinn, proto slash ancient human time travelers etc or some combination or mutation of any or all of these however it appears highly likely that the phenomenon per se is not constituted exclusively of members of the current human population in this paper we address the above under the overarching theme ultra terrestrials in order to develop a template to be matched against data at hand and that may be procured in the future unquote so it's a fascinating paper which basically weighs up many of the existing hypotheses to explain what's being witnessed with the ufo phenomenon and the wider associated phenomena that often accompany ufo sightings after this it describes this possibility of an ultra-terrestrial hypothesis and puts forward some pretty interesting arguments as to uh, why that is is worth considering. So what do you guys reckon? How about we start with you this time, Greg? What do you think? You so, yeah, it's an interesting paper, for definite. It was a good read, and I know some of the people on the internet, didn't, they just thought it was rubbish. If you look at the website it's on, it's very 1980s AOL type thing, but I've been on the NIDS website when that was live and that was very similar kind of quality. But it, it did make me think um, certainly about the, um, 
the stranded or colonizing ET stroke gods hypothesis. I was quite interested in that. The fact that they were um, potentially um, in isolated mountain bases, underwater, which, as we know, certain UFOs, USOs, that's, that's the kind of thing they're sort of seeing. Um, and that they're covert group of people that have been stranded here, for example. And it goes on to talk about the um, harvesting of sperm and ovaries as part of a reproduction program, which I thought I hadn't thought of it from that point before, is that they're doing it not to forward their sort of or us or understand how we reproduce. They're actually doing it to create a bigger gene pool for themselves. So because there's so few of them that when they start breeding or reproducing, that they haven't had or that over time they'll have a smaller gene pool. And if you've got a small gene pool, that leads to a lot of complications when you're reproducing. Um, so that was certainly an aspect to this paper that I hadn't really thought about from a why are people being abducted? Why are reproduction experiments taking place? And it also suggests that they there'll be like human form as well as like an alien type form um, or an extraterrestrial type form. So I found it was a different way for me to look at the whole subject. And I was going, actually, that's can fit that narrative as to why they're in the sea, why they're in the mountains, why they abduct people, why there's a reproduction issue, and why people see a mixture of humanoids, human-looking um, people on board the, the craft. Um, so I, I found it a very interesting paper, whether or not any of it's right or wrong i think this whole subject as we've been talking about everybody's got so many different opinions this is his opinion and his hypothesis and who's to say he's wrong somebody else is right it's it creates a lot more questions when you start delving into what he's talking about than it probably answers but i found it very interesting i don't know about the rest of you guys yeah, it it is really interesting. I mean, me personally, you know, uh, as you guys all know, I'm I'm sort of relatively, uh, you know, new to this topic, or at least being kind of deep into the topic, you know. And if somebody would have said to me about you know four or five years ago about the the possibility of like you know aliens existing here on Earth, you know, it sort of conjures up like hollow Earth theories and all the rest of it, and you know, it would have I would have been nowhere near that sort of thing. But actually, when you actually dig into it and you you know you get more involved in the topic you do start to see the value of these types of hypotheses and it does actually make more sense in some ways um i think we were on the last round table we're talking about just the sheer size of like the milky way galaxy and like the amount of time it would take to, to travel across and even just that even though it's a relatively simple point does make you think actually is it more likely that they could originate from from actually this planet and you know there's other things going on it's not like a, a sci-fi side of daft concept it's actually there's a lot of quite interesting points as to why that might be the case like you said humanoid forms you know and, and the paper talks about the consistent um you know 
being taken to bases and potentially under the sea, you know, from people's abduction reports and, and things like that. Um, you know, definitely um, the way that it's put together in this paper, I think, is a, a really good way. If, if anybody's not familiar with that, those kind of hypotheses, this is a really good way to to have it all laid out, you know, uh, quite convincingly. Um, so what do you reckon, uh, Ash Ellis? So I think this seems to be a bit of a pattern with me, but just underwhelming. Um, <laughs> I, I read the article, uh, the, the the paper, and then I got to the end of it, and I thought I thought it was the intro. Like I literally thought that it was the intro, but the whole all of it was just the whole the whole paper, and it's just to me, it's just there's nothing really in there that I think. Obviously, like Greg said, us being sort of deep into it, we come across this stuff all the time. So I think that's in this paper is just what we had discussed last week or over the past couple of months. It's nothing new, nothing like groundbreaking. And sort of going back to what we mentioned on the last point about because someone's a doctor or a pilot, doesn't mean they're not prone to flights of fancy or to be a believer and being out and out. I mean, we know them type of people that are just out and out believers, believe that every bit of dust is an orb. You can't, the doctor could still have that sort of opinion and thoughts on the um, on the subject. So reading it, I, I, I literally thought it was the intro, and I thought, oh, that 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 was it. That was the whole paper. Like, what I don't, I didn't get what was so interesting. It's just maybe that's because I'm already talking about all this stuff on a weekly basis. That it's just, oh, it's just it's it's laid out well. Like, I think I just said then, Frank, about if it's someone new, it probably is a good, interesting because they might not have thought about the like the ultra-terrestrial side of it, the crypto-terrestrial side of it. You think alien, you think outer space, just the main ETH. So I guess for that, it's probably good for someone, maybe new to it, and say this is some of the theories you talk about. But for, for me, I was just like, meh. I just, <laughs> yeah, that, that was it for me. You're a hard man to impress, Ash. <laughs> but but um, no, you know it's a it's a it's an interesting point. It just made me think when you were saying that there. Um, I think me and you have discussed this, Dave, as well about the the actual um, the timing of the release of this paper. And uh, you know, it, like you say, Ash, it is pretty short as well. So it's not like he's done some. It's like a, a book or anything like that. It's literally a few. I think it's about fifteen pages long or something like that. I was ready for a deep read. We sat there for ages, taking it all in. I was like. Oh, yeah. it's done, it's done, that was it. But I sort of wonder, you know, because it's quite pretty concise, I think it's, you know, a, a nice yeah. a nice way to put it, um, you know what I mean? But and it, and it lays everything out. It's almost as though it's actually aimed at, you know, people who aren't as familiar with the topic. And I think me and you, David, discussed about the timing of this, like why now sort of thing, because I, th- I believe this paper's been floating around for a while and he's decided to, you know, bring it out at this point when there's kind of a lot of momentum in the topic. I don't know, is that an argument as to... You know, perhaps that was part of the motivation for actually doing this and laying it out the way he did and bringing it out at the time that he did. Who knows? But um, have you got anything to add on that, Dave? Since I've just uh, name dropped yeah, you yeah. there. Yeah, no, that's right. Well, you're right. I just didn't want to. I want, didn't want to dive in. But yeah, uh, the timing. Apparently, he wrote it in 2019. And I think James Iron Dolly had been mirroring him, and I think uh, John, what's his name, John from Wales. I can't remember his handle on Twitter. Uh, I think they've been mirroring them as well, apparently, to, to put it out there. But you're right. What is the, so he'd, he'd done it a bit ago, and then with COVID, he didn't, he didn't release it. So uh, if we were talking about, uh, again, what Hal Puttoff was saying, he basically said, we've got a long-lost sister sieve, or a surviving Atlantean one, 
that's basically the crypto one. We've got the trapped aliens, which you could see as Anunnaki, which I, I don't mind the Anunnaki stuff, but I don't quite see it as the classic uh, tale told. I think there's a bit more to it, but there's that or another alien sieve. You've got maybe an esoteric group who've discovered lost secrets and are using the tech and have been doing so for some time. And then you've got this interesting cross-dimensional one, which may be where we start to get into the ideas of jinn and other beings that we see in the paranormal world. And that that's really interesting. And are they living in some parallel reality? The term ultra-terrestrial and crypto, normally when people are being quite phonetic, ultra-terrestrials tend to imply more of a dimensional parallel link. And crypto tends to imply more of a we're all in the same dimension link. But I, I mean, I think we said it, uh, you said it yourself earlier. The thing about the crypto one, Mac Tonners, was he actually mentions Mac Tonners, who did the big crypto theory. And really, he sort of anchors the end of the article in that theory, I suppose, the crypto theory. And he's, that Mac Tonners did a bit of a sort of, uh, you know, like old Marxist writers where you look at lovely capitalist society and the Marxists flick it on their head, so it's really horrible. It's really this, not what you thought it was. And without getting too political, Marx sort of does that, or did that with the UFO world. He said, you might think it's aliens, but actually they live on this planet and these are what this is why. So it was a really groundbreaking theory when it came up. So, But the big thing was, the thing is the motivation on nuclear, as you were saying earlier, the environmental concerns, the genetic stuff like you were all saying, Greg, all that. Also, this Wizard of Oz trickery, the idea that they tricked us because they don't want us to know what they are. They pretend to be aliens. They pretend to be this. And also the thing, they've got a different tech, which is uh, like field tech, which would be the propulsion and gravity and all that. And this psychic, psychic tech, uh, which is similar to, again, slide nine and all the rest of it. That gives them a different scientific basis. One of the theories being that they developed along different scientific lines to us, and therefore that's why they're not quite as advanced as we might expect a really advanced race to be. So the, the crypto theory, I think, it's not the all everything, but it's quite strong, and it's quite interesting. It brings us to nicely, and we started off from quite a nice nuts and bolts thing with the Calvin, through to Gary Nolan, where we were getting into the, through to this theory of Hal Puttoff's, which is, turns things on its head, but also starts to introduce some quite paranormal and dimensional and strange elements into the into the thing. So I thought as a contribution to the field, it, it was really strong, and I think we could probably go on about it for ages. But I know I know we've been going on for a bit, but I would say that my Ryan Musgrave Evans, who wrote a book book called Children of Orion. He also talks about crypto terrestrials, links into Jack Valley's works, and talks about a profile that they have, which is the uh, a bit like the fairy profile. They live underground, they, they're invisible, they play tricks on us, they appear in isolated places. They wear, because of the, some of the gear they wear, they look like they've got red eyes and all the rest of it, very similar to a lot of cryptids. Seen. So there's quite a lot to unpack in this field. And I think really the important thing is Hal's thought important to mention it. And I think that's maybe a bit of a breadcrumb for us being laid there. And it, I think it's certainly an issue that's important. And I would say where I got much more, I've been interested in paranormal, but what I got much more interested in the paranormal the last 18 months was reading this stuff and seeing the potential tie Because when I looked at this cryptid profile, also not cryptid, crypto terrestrial profile, I could see a lot of the stories, the Mothman, 
the way people appeared, that all the things that you hear in classic cryptid and other paranormal cases very much linked to this sort of invisibility tech with portals and the slide nine stuff. So I think it's quite fitting at the end of the show that we sort of round it up with that going from white nuts and bolts to quite a different sort of opening of new vistas for us to look at. So, yeah, so I thought it was well worth it, a bit of a pointer for us and quite a good note for us to uh, go away and ponder on our own. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, mate. And we would have gone to uh, Ash Ash, but unfortunately we've had a few technical issues with uh, Zencaster. Oh, having said that, I think he's just popped up as waiting to get back into the stream. So we'll see if he makes it just in the nick of time in a minute. Looks like he's back. Clearly he was Here. cut off by the forces of darkness, Frank. That's obviously what we need to say. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's various three-letter agencies trying yeah, to do real yes. progress today. Oh, yes, yeah. So here he is. Ash is back in the building. I'll try and keep it brief. Yeah, I, I only heard bits, so I agree with what Ash... Um, sorry, I think it was Dave was saying around. It's you know, it's not it's not particularly in-depth, is it? Um, so, yeah, it's more of a summary. I think we need to consider what, who the audience is for. It's probably for the you know beginner into the topic rather than sort of like people that have been involved and, and interested in it for a long time like ourselves. Um, but I think there are some nuggets in there, and I think it's more of a call to arms or call to action, really. There's some things in there that I, I think it's almost like he's steering us down a path as you might want to look at this, you might want to look at that. Have you considered this? Um, particularly the bit around data collection and how it's all very passive. I don't know if anyone's mentioned this because I couldn't hear anything. No, we didn't. Um, he's going for more he's going for more of a proactive approach and saying, you know, we should be going out there and proactively getting data rather than just waiting for it to come to us and, you know, just waiting for things to, you know, actually go out there, use sensor systems. Everyone can do this kind of thing. It's a bit of a call to arms is the way I see it. Um, and yeah, just some interesting other nuggets in there that I thought was quite interesting was around, he mentions, uh, uh, Nitinol and sort of advanced alloys back in the 50s, which again, you spoke about crash retrievals earlier, Frank. Is that linked to that? Don't know. It's interesting how that kind of just appeared out of nowhere. And he mentions Battelle and other aerospace um, agencies as well, which is, again, very interesting, has been mentioned before in this topic. And I just thought it's an interesting nugget of information. Is he almost saying, look, go down this path, check these out, and you'll find something? I don't know. I think there's more to this than, than... we just skimming the surface, but I think if we have a deeper look at it, there's obviously a reason why he's put it out, and I think we just need to unearth it and find out what those little nuggets of information are and where they might lead. Hopefully you heard that. I'm going to keep it brief and keep it there. Oh, all good, mate. Yeah, not too bad. Well, the gremlins yeah. get me again. <laughs> and Yeah, anyone got any further thoughts to add there? There's a little quote I wanted to read out as well, just with a, a couple of other points. So just before I get to that, anybody want to add any other points in? I just want to say Dave's written a great article on this very things which you can read at ufoidentified.co.uk and it's a lot more detailed than what the put off article goes into as well it explores some deeper into some of the theories and sort of the reasons behind it so make sure you check that article out if this has piqued your interest thanks for that yeah just 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 a point as well dave you should send that article to put off I, might I, reckon, I, I reckon he. I reckon he'd probably find it really interesting that, and yeah. you might be able to to get a bit of discussion going with him. Yeah. But um, but yeah, the 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 other thing I was going to read out was just a, a, a quote from it's quite a lengthy quote, but I'll, I'll go for it. Um, so it says, "Quote: It would be critical to discern the motivations of the ultraterrestrials to maintain such a secret existence. Of possible utmost concern to them." 
could be an overarching fear of exploitation, even annihilation, due to vulnerabilities despite possessing certain levels of technological superiority or fear of assimilation and consequent loss of culture, religion, customs, uncontrolled genetic mingling, i.e. culture shock, fear of human diseases, concern for consequences to the terrestrial human population with its attendant reciprocal effects on their own culture, potential disruption of resource gathering, including benefits derived from stealthy interactions with and possibly manipulating certain aspects of the human terrestrial society, unquote. Say very lengthy that there, but the, the, the main thing, obviously that's kind of talking about the reasons that if there is a... Um, you know, uh, ultra-terrestrial kind of society that exists on this planet alongside us, why would they not have introduced themselves and why would they have limited interaction so much? And I just thought there were some really interesting points in there as to as to why that could be, particularly the one about the benefits of stealthily interacting with humans rather than overtly doing that. And if it is some kind of a, a genetic harvesting or, you know, whatever else it might be, just abductions in general, I suppose, you know, the point that that's basically making is they'd be better off doing that stealthily because if they reveal themselves and they say, yeah, we're here, by the way, we share the planet with you. And, you know, just so you know, we're going to kidnap some of you now and again and and take parts of your biological material off you. You know, that's not going to be a particularly conducive to healthy relations between the the humans and and the non-humans. So I thought that was quite an interesting point. Um, I wonder if you guys got any thoughts on that before we wrap up. I thought you? that you know that that would explain quite a lot of accounts, wouldn't it? Of uh, you know people experiencing strange cryptid-like creatures, invisible sort of things in the forest, and things like that. A lot of paranormal-esque things. It would explain a lot of those sort of things if that was the case. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it isn't, but um, could be. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. What were you going to say, Frank? Sorry. I was going to say, how about you, Dave? Sorry, Frank. I do apologise, mate. Uh, it's getting late in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, 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 yeah. I think that was a really quite a powerful thing that, and I remember that. I thought, oh, I remember reading that now. Yeah, and that advantage of stealth, and that is a big thing. If there wasn't many of you, but you were technologically advanced, uh, you, that stealth and the advantages they derived from that, and maybe the infiltration potentially, which was also something he was driving at in human society, and something Valet talks about funnily. Uh, is a very powerful thing. And that Wizard of Oz thing does come back to me, that idea of, you know, the, the powerful guy, the little guy behind the thing with the big megaphone. He's, he's also really interesting. So it may be that they almost have developed by default or by accident a sort of symbiotic relationship with us now. And that's what it made me think of I hadn't thought of before. But it was quite symbiotic. So... Yeah, I thought it was really good. So cracking quote actually, Frank, really good. Made me think. Yeah, it's an interesting one, and it sort of applies to any kind of non-human, you know, society or civilization, whatever you want to call it. Because whether or not they're actually ultra-terrestrial in in nature, interdimensional, extraterrestrial, whatever, same kind of things apply. You know, if they have been interacting with us in ways that we wouldn't find particularly pleasant, it's kind of a reason to keep themselves you know, limiting their interactions with us and and keeping it stealthy. So, yeah, anyway, I think that's probably a good time to wrap it up. Any any further comments from anybody before we do so? 
just really enjoyed it, mate. I thought it was a really good conversation and it was quite diverse as well. I really did enjoy it. It was great tonight. Aye, it's, it's always a pleasure. So, all right, we'll, we'll wrap it up there for now then. A few technical issues there tonight, but we battled through and I think we did all right in the end. So yeah, uh, that's good. I'll, I'll catch you guys uh, next month. Cheers. Cheers. Catch, catch you later. See you Cheers, later. Guys, take care. The UFO Roundtable. The UFO Thinker and Pursuit of the Paranormal Podcasts. Oh.